We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. I'm glad you guys are here today. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, there was a series of books uh, which became, I think, a PBS TV show uh, called The Magic School Bus. Anybody read The Magic School Bus or have kids that read The Magic School Bus? You can own up to it. It's okay. I loved it. It was great. If you're not familiar with The Magic School Bus, The Magic School Bus was a magic school bus, and it followed this lady who's a teacher who I'm sure would get fired nowadays named Miss Frizzle. And Miss Frizzle would take her kids on these exciting field trips in the magic school bus. And the magic school bus could shrink down uh, to like go inside somebody's body and you would see how the inner workings of the body worked. It could go into outer space. It could go on a molecular level. Like it was all about teaching and helping kids think learning is fun. And learning is fun. I, I like learning. I think most people do enjoy learning something as long as it's something I'm interested in, right? So when I was a kid, if you had a history subject or an English sub subject, something about literature, man, I was all over it. I loved that. I was excited to do that. If it had a map involved with it, you don't even need to talk to me. I love maps. But if it was math, I'm good. I'll pass. There's no need for math. We're actually in a leadership training uh, thing a couple weeks ago as a staff, and they started talking about ratios, and I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. Like, I, I got nothing. You lost me at ratios. Learning is enjoyable, but when we don't have something that we think is interesting or when we don't have the motivation to do it, we tend to not learn. And sometimes we don't feel like learning. Sometimes we don't feel like reading. And sometimes we definitely don't feel like reading the Bible. It happens to me. I do this for a living. I'm in the Bible all the time. And I don't say that as a, I'm holier than thou. I say that as it's my job to prepare sermons and lessons and things like that. And so sometimes when I come home or when I wake up in the morning, I think to myself, the last thing I want to do is open up this book. Sometimes I don't feel like reading the Bible. And I imagine some of you are like that as well. It's not that I don't necessarily want to talk to God. I just don't feel like engaging this book that's old, that's ancient, sometimes confusing. We're starting a new series called What is the Bible? And what I want us to talk about today is really what is the Bible? What is it? Why is it important for us? And how can knowing why it's important for us help us overcome that feeling of, eh, I don't really feel like it today. So when you encounter the, I don't really feel like reading it today, you can hopefully revisit some of the things we talk about today and you can say, no, I'm, I'm going to go for it even though I don't feel like it today. We're in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 14 to 17. And uh, sticking with kind of the educational theme, we're going to look at the three R's of the Bible. The three R's of the Bible. And the first thing I want you to see is that the Bible is relevant. It's relevant. Now, I hate that word because it's a super churchy word that we use nowadays, which basically means we think our worship services are cool and we want you to come to them so they're relevant. That's not what I mean today when I say relevant. I mean relevant as in it has import, it has meaning, it has gravity for your life, and it speaks to the things that you're encountering in your life today. Let's read verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. 
Okay, so Paul is writing to his disciple Timothy, and Timothy's taking on a church, and he's instructing Timothy, and he tells Timothy, he says, but as for you. Now, when you encounter anything and somebody says, but, it's a good idea to know what was happening before, because this is a contrast. We're contrasting Timothy with someone else or a group of other people. And the people that he's contrasting him to is a group of individuals that either has arisen in the church or will arise in the church that are kind of trying to use the Bible, use the church to peddle their own ideas and their own things in order to have gain of some kind, whether it's power, prestige, money. They're basically false teachers. And Paul describes these individuals in chapter 3, verse 1. We'll, we'll read that now. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Sometimes I wonder if Paul's writer was like, really, Paul, we're just going to keep going? Like, it's just a list, man. It's just going to keep going on and on. Now, I would love to tell you that we're only going to look at a couple of these ideas because we've advanced really far as a society, and we don't really struggle with much that he just mentioned. It's only just a couple items, really. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that at all. In fact, if you notice in the passage, it said, lovers of self, proud, arrogant, swollen with conceit. I think I probably could talk about social media at this point, right? The selfie culture, right? Because the image that I project, the image I want you to see is one of me being perfect, one of me being clean, one of me being right, one of me being good. I'm not going to show you the troubling images in my life. I'm not going to show you the distressing things that are going on because I'm self-centered. Look at 2 Timothy 3.3. 3. We're going to read it again. Heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good American politics. Right? If ever there was an epitaph on American politics in this day and age, it's 2 Timothy 3.3. Brutal, unappeasable, slanderous? Yeah, it sounds about right. Ungrateful, unholy. We want more and more and more, right? And we're willing to do more and more unholy things to get what we want. And the last, at the very end, it says, having the appearance of godliness. Well, people don't really care about appearing godly anymore. They care to appear good, but not necessarily godly. Paul calls Timothy and says, don't you be like this group of people. Don't be like them. He calls him to live differently. And he says that the way he can do this is by remaining in what he has learned. Look at verse 14. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. <clears throat> Paul doesn't want Timothy to jump from one novelty to another to another. The word remain here is similar to the word that Jesus has used. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. Paul's telling Timothy, stay where you are. Remain. Stay steadfast. Don't give up. Don't progress from one thing to another thing to another thing. And that's what this group does. They're a progressive people. And I'll talk about what that means in a second. 
He tells them to do this two ways. One, he says, stick to what you've learned for yourself, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Timothy doesn't have to be spoon-fed Scripture anymore. He's been instructed, he's been taught, he's capable of handling the Scriptures on his own. He doesn't have to go to six Bible studies a week to feel prepared. He's ready. He's been taught. He knows the doctrines of the faith, and he knows how to apply them to his life. But Paul also goes on in verse 14 and says, knowing from whom you have learned it. Knowing from whom you've learned it. He says, stick to what you've been taught by reliable people. By people you can count on, people you can trust. Who's been teaching Timothy? Well, one, we know it's Paul. But Paul's not the only one who's been pouring into Timothy's life. Timothy's been raised from a very young age to be obedient to the Scriptures. Not necessarily a Christian, but raised from a very young age by his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice. Great names there, Lois and Eunice. So for Timothy to reign strong and steadfast in his name, or in, in his faith, he needs to stand firm in the Scriptures. He needs to stand firm in what he believes, stick to what God has shown him through Scriptures in his own study and through the teaching of other people. Many of us find ourselves in the same boat as Timothy. Culture is moving forward on and on and on. In fact, in verse 13, it says, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. <coughs> Excuse me. Family's getting over bronchitis this week, so I'm going to fight a cough pretty much all morning. Sometimes progress is a good thing, right? I'm not against progress. I like progress. I like uh, the culture around us. I don't think the culture around us is bad. I don't want you to ever think that I'm saying we should be against culture. Culture is neutral. Some things about it are good. Some things are bad. Some things about progress are good. I like that we, know we have indoor plumbing, right? When it's cold outside, when it's hot outside, I don't have to worry about putting on a coat to go to the bathroom. I like progress. I like medicine. Medicine is way better now than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. We have cures for all kinds of things. Progress isn't necessarily bad. We've advanced in the arts and social inequalities. Those are good things. But sometimes it's not. We live in a day and age now where technology advances at a rapid pace. We get groundbreaking, culture-changing technology on a regular basis. Back in the day, like they invented the wheel, and then it was like a millennia, and they were like, oh yeah, and we figured out fire. Maybe you want to reverse that. I think they got fire first. We needed to be warm before we could drive a car. Got it. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like cell phones, satellites. Like you just, it's just new and new and new and new and new, which is great, except our morality and our ethics and our ability to build ethics around new things has not advanced at that pace. So there's this great scene from Jurassic Park, the original one from like 94 that Steven Spielberg did. And uh, there's Jeff Goldblum's character, Ian Malcolm, who's kind of the moral conscience in the movie. He's kind of berating the creator of Jurassic Park and he says, you guys were so preoccupied with what you could do, you never stopped to ask if you should. You've never stopped to ask if you should. And we live in a culture that's obsessed with progress and moving forward and advancing. 
and ethics and morality have a hard time keeping up. And often we have to look back and be like, yeah, that's a being on a screen all the time is not good for your eyes. Kind of figured that out now. And so this is where Paul's instruction to Timothy applies to us today. Because despite its age, Scripture is still incredibly relevant. And if you don't think it's relevant, you're not going to open it up. You're going to treat this book the same way I treat calculus from my freshman year of college. I don't treat it. I ignore it. Because we are a people who think that if it's not going to put food on my table, if it's not going to help me sleep better at night, if it's not going to help me enjoy life more, I'm jettisoning it. I want to travel light. I don't need it. I'm not going to open it. That's the way that I view calculus. It doesn't help me put food on the table. It doesn't apply to my day-to-day life. I still don't know what a derivative is. It's confusing, and I'm not going to deal with it. And some of us look at the Bible that way. It's confusing. I don't understand it. I've got enough on my plate. But Scripture, if I can use this analogy, Scripture's like the magic school bus. It wants to take you on a journey, on an adventure, and not just show you the world, but show you the world through God's eyes. It wants to show you the world behind the world. Kind of like how the magic school bus would shrink down and go inside a kid's body and you could see how all the cells work underneath everything. The Bible wants to take you and show you that sometimes in our world, evil things happen because there are evil spiritual powers at work that you can't see. But that there's also forces of good and God at work combating these evil things and we can combat them through prayer. That's not something I'm going to come up with on my own. Scripture wants to show you that, that even though there are things in our life that, that feel good, they aren't good. It wants to show you how that can be destructive. Scripture is like the magic school bus, and it wants to, you to get on board every day and go see the world, not through anybody's eyes, but God's. God wants you to see himself, see yourself, and see your world through his eyes. And the only way you're going to grab that is through his revealed word. That's what makes it relevant. Now, you might say, well, Travis, Scripture doesn't talk about everything. Like, it doesn't talk about social media. You're right. Paul did not have a Twitter account. Praise the Lord. No, but the Bible does talk about rest. It talks about Sabbath. It talks about fasting. Yeah, not eating, right? That's terrifying. It talks about all these things. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says... Everything is beneficial for me, but not everything is, sorry, everything is, uh, is allowable for me, but not everything is beneficial. So it does speak into the habitual act of doing something that feels good, might not be good all the time. Well, Travis, the Bible doesn't talk about voting. You're right. They did not have much of a democratic process in Scripture. That's true. But the Bible does talk a lot about what our politicians talk about. It talks about poverty, it talks about racism, it talks about war, it talks about finances, it talks about immigration. It says a lot of things about those. You might say the Bible doesn't talk anything about abortion or euthanasia. No, it does not mention those things by name. So it does have a lot to say about each person's value. And Psalm 139, 13 through 16 talks about God knowing us before we were born. And just last week, 
We talked about a 75-year-old who started his adventure with God at 75. The value of human life. The point is the Bible is incredibly relevant. And not only is it relevant, it's influential. Just this week on the great place that is Twitter, we had two celebrities, Hollywood actors, arguing about the meaning of the Bible. One of them subscribes to the Bible, and he's a big name uh, headliner. And an actress saying that the church that he goes to condemned a group of people in our society. Now, here she is saying that the Bible has no authority in her life, but yet she cares about how other people interpret the Bible. Why? Because she's smart enough and aware enough to know that the Bible still has influence and import into the lives of people. And that's why people who aren't believers in the Bible care so much about what it says. Because they know that it's relevant. They know. So whatever you're facing today, the Bible offers some wisdom, some encouragement, some knowledge. It offers guidance. Are you struggling with depression or anxiety? Guess what? So did Job. So did many of the psalmists. Jesus was so consumed with, with grief and with anxiety that he sweat drops of blood. I have anxiety. I've never gotten to the point where I've sweat drops of blood. So I think he would know a thing or two about that. Are you struggling with loneliness? The Bible has a lot of lonely people. Psalms are a great place to go again. Jesus was abandoned by many people when he went to the cross. Are you struggling with childlessness? Wanting a child? Sarah, Abraham, Rachel, Hannah, Zechariah, The Bible's full of individuals who want children. Are you struggling with an unwanted pregnancy? Might I point you to a young lady named Mary whose whole world got turned upside down? Are you overjoyed? Are you grateful? Are you thankful? The Bible has lots of ways to put those words in our mouth when we don't know what to say. Romans, one of the most theological rich and heavy books in all of Scripture, says rejoice numerous times. The Psalms are a great place to go. All right, Travis, you beat me down. Fine. It's relevant. I get it. But so are a lot of self-help books out there. Like there's a lot of books out there that are relevant. Why is the Bible more important than they are? Well, it's the second R we come to. The Bible is also revelation. The Bible is revelation. Look at verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's continuing on with his line of thought regarding Timothy's long, long history of being in the Scriptures. And because Timothy is raised um, in a Jewish home, he's half Jewish, he probably would have been acquainted with the Scriptures starting at age five. So he would have known what the Scriptures taught and been grown up. So when he says Scriptures, he means the Old Testament. That's what they have at this point. But around this time... uh, Paul, Peter, some others are realizing that God is using their writings, that their writings are Scripture. In fact, in 1 Peter 3.16, Peter actually says of one of Paul's writings, they're hard to understand, but a lot of Scripture is. Which I kind of wonder if maybe Peter was making a joke, like, you know, kind of a dig on Paul, and somehow it got worked into our Scriptures. That's fun. It's fun to think about. But it says that Scripture is not just good information. It's not just there to be good for moral living. No, Scripture is there for a purpose. What does he say in verse 15? He says, 
how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. What does that mean? Wise for salvation. What does it mean? It means that without the Scriptures, we would never know the great lengths that God has gone to reconcile us to Himself. We would never know. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. It means that the Scriptures are our means of knowing the life and work of Jesus Christ. And apart from living in first century Palestine and actually encountering the risen Lord, Without the scriptures, without people writing down their account and it being inspired by the word of, or inspired by the Holy Spirit, we would not know what Jesus has done. We wouldn't know who he is. And we wouldn't know what it means for us. And so Paul says, Timothy, these scriptures that you're acquainted with, you can look at them from Genesis to Leviticus to Numbers. If you're with us on the year of the Bible, we're in Numbers right now. Yes, there's something about those Numbers that points us to Jesus Christ. Through Deuteronomy, through Judges, through Joshua, through Ruth, all the way through to Malachi, and then we're in the New Testament, all pointing us to Jesus Christ. All of Scripture oriented around one person, even though there's multiple writers, multiple genres, all of Scripture coming together for one purpose. And Paul tells Timothy, it's not enough that you know how to be saved. That's what wise to be for salvation. He continues on in verse 15, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's not going to let him off the hook. Paul's not going to say, oh, and it's enough that you know how to be saved. No, no, no. You need to actually put your faith in what it says. So I think many of us, maybe because of the way that we first encountered Christ, perhaps had somebody ask us, if you die tonight and Jesus asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? Will you know what to say? And you think, yeah, I know what to say. I'm going to say that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I'm okay because of that. That's actually having faith in a right answer. That's not having faith in a person and his work. And there's a difference there. Because in one scenario, if I think that having the right answer gets me, gets me into heaven, gets me saved, then I'm trusting in my own ability to pass a test. In the other scenario where I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and his person and work, I'm trusting him to have taken the test for me. And there's a difference there. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I would never do that. But I do want you to consider, am I just counting on having all the right answers? Or do I actually have faith in Jesus Christ? That if, let's say if, hypothetical situation, you get to heaven and that's the wrong answer. My answer to that scenario is, I'm just still trusting in Jesus Christ. Okay, I got that answer wrong. I'm still trusting in Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Again, hypothetical situation. I don't think that's the wrong answer. Don't scare anybody there. What are we putting our faith in? I love this book. I, I enjoy reading it, and I've clearly spent time with it learning and growing and, and studying, and, and I've built my professional career around it. It did not die on the cross for my sins. It's important. It's inspired. It's revelation. It is not our Savior. And it's a big difference there. So this is why you should ignore that feeling of, eh, I don't feel like reading the Bible today. 
You should ignore that feeling because there is a God who loves you enough, who spent millennia working through individuals, through different people, different styles, to communicate to you in 2019 that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And every day he wants you to remember. He wants it to be brought back up. He wants you to remember how much he loves you. If God wanted to hide from us, he could, but he didn't. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know that, yes, there are things you've done wrong, but he wants you to know that there's a way for you to be forgiven if you would just trust in Christ, just like those eight folks did at Disciple Now. That can be you today. I don't care if you're 75 and you're like, well, it's going to be embarrassing if I've gone to church my whole life and I just now realize I'm not saved. That's not embarrassing. We will worship and praise God with you. Again, Abraham didn't start his journey until he was 75 and may have been a polytheist before that. It's not too late. It's not too late. But God wants you to remember. He wants you to remember that if you're ever gripped by shame and guilt and fear, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty so that you don't have to be ashamed anymore. That he does not condemn you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. He wants you to remember that if you ever feel not good enough, that Jesus Christ did everything that needs to be done to make you good enough. He wants you to remember that you don't need to earn his love and that everything you ever needed to earn was bought on a cross in first century Palestine. He wants you to remember that if you've ever had a failed test, a failed marriage, failed at parenting, failed a job, or simply failed at life, that that is not what defines you, but that it is you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He wants you to remember that no matter how many people reject you, God will never reject you because of Christ. Wise into salvation indeed. If Jesus is someone that you've trusted in, if you believe that his work counts for you, then you are wise unto salvation. Because wisdom isn't just having knowledge, it's applying it, and it's believing. Maybe you need to make that belief public. We're going to have an opportunity in our next steps to, to talk to somebody. Maybe you are a little like, I don't know, I don't want my family to wait, like we're going to kind of got things going on. That's fine. Guess what? Slide me a card. You can fill out a little card. Write, write your email address on you. I'll contact you this week. You can come into my office. We'll have a meeting. We'll talk about whatever it is that you're dealing with. Maybe you're struggling with assurance of salvation. Maybe you're struggling with doubts. Maybe you're struggling with fear. Whatever, come by. You don't have to do it over in the, the Narthex Chapel. We can talk there if you want. But you can come by some other time. But don't put it off. Don't wait. Maybe you need to get baptized. Definitely don't wait on that. It's exciting and it's fun. And people will rejoice with you. Maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you've been here for a while and you're like, well, I don't know. It's like year five. You know. You're not going anywhere else. So come on. Join the church. So if the Bible is, what? It's revelation. We know that it's relevant. That means, two, that means one thing. It's required reading. It's required reading. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. This is one of the most quoted passages about Scripture in all of Scripture. And Paul tells Timothy two things. 
It's inspired and it's useful for certain purposes. Now, we've already talked about what inspiration is. Basically, what inspiration is, is that every word of the original biblical text, so the original manuscripts that the video was talking about, is inspired, is superintended through the Holy Spirit, God using uh, different people. He used a doctor. He used fishermen. He used prophets. He used priests. He used all kinds of people (coughs) to write a book using their different literary styles, literary genres, using different author styles. He used all these things to communicate to you the truth of his salvation and who he is. He wants you to know him. Now, the fact that the Bible is inspired should make it required reading end of story. But God understands that we are a practical people, right? And if something was just sacred, you know what we would do with it? We'd put it in a little box, put it someplace safe in the house. We'd probably worship it, and we would never open it. But God has made Scripture practical as well. He's made it useful And useful to what end? Well, first, it teaches us. Look back at 16. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof. Scripture teaches us what to believe. It teaches us, it instructs us what it is that we are to believe about God. And we believe when we believe something wrong about God, Scripture comes along and corrects us. So some of us, and I've heard this before, think that that heaven is going to be whatever you want it to be. So if you like playing golf, guess what? Heaven's just going to be one big, long golf game with your buddies. Well, that sounds like hell to me, to be honest. And that's a nice idea. I like it. I like it. That means that, that heaven for me would be like just a giant library with a bunch of history books in it, and I could just read books all day. That sounds great. Except that's not what Scripture teaches us heaven is about. And the problem with that is that Scripture teaches us that heaven is about Jesus Christ. And in my scenario of heaven being whatever I want it to be, guess who's not at the center of heaven? Jesus Christ. I am. And so scripture comes along and gently corrects this thinking. Sometimes not so gently. So when we get off the path, scripture puts us on the path, and then we get off the path, scripture comes along and is like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. And this is tied to teaching because every time I fail to follow the word of God. It's not just because I'm disobedient. It's not because I'm willfully disobedient sometimes. It's because I fail to believe what scripture has told me. Every time I harshly judge someone, it's because I fail to believe that God's grace is amazing for me too. Every time that I give into lustful thoughts or temptations, it's because I failed to believe that my marriage is a picture of Christ in the church and not just about my own personal gratification. Every time I avoid conflict or I lie, I fail to believe that God is a God who wants to bring peace and reconciliation. Scripture's here to teach us, and the Holy Spirit is the instructor. So in the magic school bus example, the Holy Spirit's kind of Miss Frizzle, which makes a lot of sense, because Miss Frizzle was kind of weird and kind of crazy, and that's generally how Baptists view the Holy Spirit. We're good with the Father, we're good with the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're like, is he coming too? so scared. He might make me say something in a different language. No. But the Holy Spirit is not, he's calling to you. He's like, get on the bus. Every day, get on the bus. We got something new to explore. We got something new to see. We want you to, I want to show you something. And the Holy Spirit walks beside us. Uh, we, we sang the, the word paraclete, right? Some of you wondering what paraclete means. Guess what? Paraclete means the one who walks beside. The Holy Spirit, Miss Frizzle, walks beside us. And everywhere we go, 
point, pointing out things. It's like going on a nature walk with God, pointing out things to you, helping you see the world through God's eyes, which is the correct way to see it. So Scripture teaches us. It also empowers us. Look at the end of verse 16. For reproof and for correction. Scripture's not just an academic liberal arts study. How many of you have liberal arts degrees? Put your hand up proudly. Me too. It's all right. History major. Can't do anything with it. It's great. Scripture, being in the Word of God, is not going to a liberal arts study and being like, oh, that's interesting. It's like war and peace. It's long and, and I don't understand it. That's okay. You close it. No. Scripture is breathed out by God. And it is, you're, you're being trained for a vocation. You're being trained to do something. At the end of verse 17, it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped. That word complete doesn't mean like perfect. It means proficient. It means ready to do a job. Scripture is training you for your vocation, which is to make disciples. It is training you to proclaim the name of Jesus. It is training you to be a follower of Christ every single day. You are equipped by the Holy Spirit through Scripture. And so the Bible is relevant. It addresses issues that we have in our life today, real-world issues. And if we pray and we approach it with a prayerful attitude, the Holy Spirit will open our eyes. He'll illuminate Scripture for us. That's part of His job. So it's relevant. It's also revelation. God wants to show us things about Himself, about our world, about ourselves that we wouldn't get anywhere else. And so it's required reading. We need to be in the Word. Join us in the year of the Bible. Like I said, we're in numbers. It's a rough on-ramp. I get it. But it's not too late. We're not even out of the first five books, the Pentateuch. We're not even out of the first section. So come on. You can join us. And just start reading and ask God to show you every day, Lord, what do you want me to see? There's a lot of numbers here. What do you want me to see? And sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes the Holy Spirit is quiet. And that's hard. That's hard to stay motivated in Scripture. But again, we have faith that the Holy Spirit will show us and speak to us through His Word. So it's relevant. It's revelation that's required reading. So let's read our Scriptures together today, every day, until we meet the Word of God face to face. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, You are kind to us because You have not abandoned us. You haven't left us alone. You've left us with Your Word for us to read and understand, and it is confusing. Scripture does not claim clarity for itself. Sometimes I read it and I'm like, what? But Lord God, you haven't left us alone. You've left us with the Holy Spirit as well who lives inside of us if we're believers and he instructs us and he teaches us and there's a Holy Spirit inside each of us and you've given us the church to read and study together as well. And so God, I pray that each of us would be engaged in your word both on our own and with groups of people. And I pray that you would teach us, that you would show us. If there's somebody in this room going through a dry period in their walk with you where scripture just seems dry and boring and they're unmotivated, God, I pray that you would, you would just enliven them, that, that you would meet them today in your word. And they'd feel comforted and encouraged to know that you're there. And I pray that they would trust you to show up and speak. And we love you, Lord God, because you have not abandoned us and you never will. It's in your son's name we pray. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.